I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse. Stop, the stop, 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 stop. You cannot make it look like William Tapley is supporting our program. Sorry, folks. Chris Roseborough here, just to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. And no, William Tapley is not our spokesperson. Uh, if you don't already support us financially, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. And when you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute. $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And, of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. All right, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, October 24th, 2011. Man, that weekend went quick. <laughs> oh, me. I think the problem was that I slept a lot. I was tired. For tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We do the comparative work. It's politically incorrect. I step on toes. I hurt people's feelings. Yes, that all goes with the territory uh, when you're teaching the truth. However, the goal is not the goal is not to step on toes to hurt people's feelings. That's just one of the side effects to proclaiming the truth and saying, "Wait a second, what you're saying about God, that's not true." God has says has said something different than that. As a result of it, you need to repent of that false teaching and well, believe the truth and well, be forgiven for believing the lie, for committing the sin of blasphemy or uh, that would be, uh, or, you know, breaking, you know, the commandment that says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's exactly what that means. False teaching, speaking falsely about God in God's name is what it means to take God's name in vain. And, or, or you could even point out the fact that they don't love God with all of their heart, their mind, their soul, and their strength. Uh, that they have, they have other gods beside the, uh, the one true God, because if you're believing falsely about God, you've created an idol for yourself. You know, I was talking to my, uh, <clears throat> my uh, new son-in-law about this over the weekend. We, uh, we chat from time to time. And uh, <laughs> you, I guess you would kind of expect that. He is my son-in-law. But, uh, you know, the kids actually <clears throat> don't tell him this. Just if, uh, 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 Christina, if, uh, if you guys are listening to this together, just skip over the next couple of minutes because I don't want his ego to get out of whack. But, but anyway, 
Uh, no, he, I mean, the kid's a sharp learner and, and, and really has got a lot of the good, uh, the theological categories worked out very well. And uh, he does want to go into uh, pastoral ministry. That's his ultimate goal after he gets out of the Navy. But anyway, you know, we were talking about this and, you know, I uh, we talking about, he, he was pointing out how people just make up their own gods. And I said, you know, at least pagans, you know, like the old school pagans, um, <clears throat> when they made up their own gods, at least they had the courage of their convictions to say, yeah, I don't believe in the God of the Bible. I believe this God as my God and I've made him. And so, and that they would actually take the extra step and go out and, you know, find a block of wood or a slab of stone or whatever, and chisel out, uh, you know, what their God looks like, you know, this God that they've made. Nowadays, uh, you know, what's, what happens is, is that people are just as rank idolaters as, you know, the pagans of years past, but uh, they, they always want to shroud their God in, uh, in biblical language to create the appearance that the God that they believe in, well, is, is actually the God of the Bible. But when you start pushing on the details, when you start, you know, doing that, uh, you know, do the comparative work, you find that the, the two categories don't don't fit. So anyway, that was, you know, one of the things that uh, w w my son-in-law we, we were talking about yesterday uh, between my naps, but because yeah, I'm old. But uh, <laughs> so the yeah, but uh, no, it was, he he made some pretty astute points and uh, and, uh, you know, I'm just. This is where he's at now. I'm wondering where he's going to be uh, in the future. I mean, he's, again, sharp, sharp kid. Anyway, so um, I got to tell you, got to tell you, I've, I've mentioned it. I've I got to say it. The Monday came really too quick. Uh, I tried to get some rest over the weekend. I, you know, I went into the uh, the weekend actually kind of tired. And uh, and so I, I I took a few naps and, um, you know, Saturday and Sunday. And as a result of it, it accelerated the the weekend to the point where, you know, Monday morning came and I thought, how did this get here so quick? <laughs> Wait a second. It's time for me to go to work. So, yeah. <laughs> so there, there, is a, there is a moral to the story. I just don't know what the moral is because I, I actually needed the rest. But anyway, yeah. <sighs> The weekends are depressing here in Indianapolis. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, the Indianapolis Colts just, it was a bloodbath. It was, um, yeah, <laughs> my wife and I could only watch, we watched the full, the first quarter and about three, four minutes into the second quarter and we were done. And uh, my wife informed me uh, this morning that, uh, you know, this, as soon as the paper got there, you know, that <laughs> Indianapolis Colts said, lost so badly that it was the worst score ever in the history of the Indianapolis Colts as a franchise. And so, yeah, it's <sighs> football season's a bust here. <sighs> yeah, but at least we got the Super Bowl in Indianapolis. Yay. <laughs> Do I sound thrilled? I'm thrilled. I'm just absolutely thrilled. Anyway, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. Let me pull up my program notes here. I uh, put them into my iPad. Um, okay, so here, here's uh, here's what we're here's what we're looking at here. I've got email that I want to talk about. I've got, and in case you missed it, um, 
the world did not end over uh, on uh, on Friday. Yeah, it's it's true. I I know what you're thinking. Well, are you sure that the world didn't end on Friday? Yes, I'm still here cuz remember Monday rolled around. Today is the <clears throat> the uh, the 24th of October. So um that means Harold Camping like struck out again. And so we've got to uh, <clears throat> we kind of button all this up. It'll be our last Harold Camping update. Um <clears throat> at least at least in this prophecy cycle. Not sure if he we got a new prophecy cycle coming up from him. Um, man, I hope not. I mean, he's actually, um, it, he, he's about as good as predicting the end of the world as most people are at, um, picking winning, winning lotto numbers or Powerball numbers. I mean, maybe he should get a job doing that. You know, uh, you know, I'm just trying to think at his age, um, you know, what a, an alternate career path might be for him. Obviously he doesn't know how to, does not know how to handle God's word. Um, can't, it's just has no skills whatsoever at uh, <clears throat> predicting the end of the world. I mean, so, I mean, what happens? I mean, yeah, maybe he should just retire. But, I mean, if he wants to continue working at all, um, I'm just having a hard time coming up with alternative career paths for him. And, of course, since he's not, <clears throat> well, since he hasn't been successful in predicting the end of the world or two major cataclysmic events it t- two times in one year, um, it just kind of makes you wonder what is happening to the poor folks who've been strung along by this guy. Um, I mean, have they finally come to the realization, well, wait a second. Um, if he didn't predict the rapture successfully for May 21st and he didn't predict the end of the world successfully for October 22nd, <clears throat> the chances are pretty much everything else he's taught us regarding the Bible, that is up for grabs too. Um yeah, that's just how <clears throat> the nature of failed prophecy works. Uh, which, by the way, um, you know, uh, if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, then you know that I have been up to something. And the answer is, yeah, I actually have been up to something in regard to Bill Hybels. And uh, by, Bill Hybels has, you know, the book that he has out, we've covered it a little bit here at Fighting for the Faith, is is a book entitled The Power of a Whisper. And um, when this book first came out, um, it was a. I got it for free uh, as a Kindle uh, download. They, you know, I. The, one of the nice things is, is because you know I kind of watch these things from time to time. I'm able to pick up, you know, pick up bad books, you know, for free. So I don't, I don't have to pay for them. And uh, <clears throat> such was the case with Bill Hybels' book, the uh, the Power of a Whisper. Now the other thing I do is. Um, you know, I, I, I read incessantly would kind of like be an understatement. Um, if only reading burned as many calories as like, you know, <clears throat> you know, being on a treadmill or something. But anyway, yeah, I'd be a really skinny guy. Uh, but uh, so <clears throat> I read incessantly. And one of the things I do is uh, to help, you know, to help me with my, you know, to get through the books I need to get through. Um, I have an account with a company called Audible.com, Audible.com, and I have a monthly subscription that gives me so many credits, and uh, and so I can I you know so every month I you know I use my credits to download particular books, and a lot of times in my Audible account I'm downloading you know heretical books and and stuff like that. So um, you know I recently thought you know what <clears throat> I don't know why not. So I went ahead and I and I downloaded. Uh, it was like they were having a sale. And so, you know, books that were like normally seven credits, I was able to get them for three. 
And uh, Heibel's book was, uh, you know, the uh, uh, regarding the power of a whisper was one of those books that I was able to pick up for three credits over at Audible.com, which is, you know, it's like a blue light special at Kmart. But anyway, so I, you know, I, I went ahead and added it to my audio library, and I started listening to it. I, I, I remember reading the book when it first came out on Kindle, and you know, kind of quickly, kind of just skimming through it, and uh, listening to it. <clears throat> one of the things that becomes really clear when you um, read Heibel's book um, is that um, th these whispers that he claims that he's getting, he's claimed that he's been getting them like his entire life, um, going back to his childhood. And, um, and, and he likens them to the same types of hearing the, the word of the Lord that Samuel received. Um, that would be Samuel the prophet. And so he's, um, he, and so my question then is, is that since, you know, uh, Bill Hybels claims to have been receiving these promptings from God, the Holy Spirit, uh, for all these years, um, is there a way to test all of this? And I, I think that there is. And so if you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, then you know that I've been, um, you know, building up to something, but I'm not quite ready to, <clears throat> to divulge everything I've been working on. But uh, so the answer is yes. And I hope uh, by by the end of the week to circle back and spend a little bit of time, uh, you know, kind of basically challenging the the, uh, the question uh, or challenging the, the claim by Bill Hybels that he's been receiving promptings and and uh, and whispers from God, the Holy Spirit. Um, I think that there is a rock solid case that could be made. And I mean this in like the, the truest sense of the word. Like if, uh, well, the concept is like this is if we were to take Bill Hybels and put him on trial, um, and, you know, and, and to, to see whether or not he's been hearing from God, the Holy Spirit, this would be, uh, you know, the God, the Holy Spirit, third person of the Holy Trinity, the, the God who's, uh, inspired and revealed himself in the Bible, um, that I think we can, we could, uh, that a jury after the end of this would come to the conclusion, one, Bill Hybels for sure has been hearing uh, uh, whispers of some kind. Two, that uh, that there's no evidence whatsoever to support the claim that he's hearing from God the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> okay, so uh, we're going to spend some time on that later this week, but uh, you'll you'll get where I'm going with this uh, at that time. And if you want a kind of a preview of where this is heading, <clears throat> just check out my Twitter stream or. Um, or, uh, or, you know, or my Facebook status updates, you know, if you want to, if you want to get a you know, kind of a, cl a clear idea as to where we're heading with this, but, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm actually kind of working up a, an entire blog post, um, complete with historical records, which by the way, which by the way, leads to, um, uh, you know, the, one of the things that you got to do in discernment work, at least I, I'm seeing is, is that. There's particular patterns to the way things go badly in the church. And uh, what's really weird is is that with Bill Hybels, the pattern that we saw with Hybels uh, going back to like 2002, 2003, 2004 forward, um, that that pattern is the same. I'm seeing that same pattern um, in the Reformed camp, or at least the young Restless Reformed camp, with uh, guys like James McDonald and others, and uh, and so there's kind of a secondary thing is is that as I go back and I and kind of review um, my history here, because he here's the deal, I've been I've been doing discernment work 
online a lot longer than uh, Fighting for the Faith, the radio program has been around. I, I I started off as a blogger, and everybody knows that what that means is that apparently, you know, uh, not that this is true, but so uh, you know, since I'm a blogger, I'm supposed to uh, live in my mom's basement. Um, um, and, uh, basically, um, don't, don't get out of my PJs if I put any clothes on at all and I eat a lot of Cheetos, uh, and blog from a beanbag in my mom's basement, um, half naked, you know, you get the whole idea that apparently that's the favorite, uh, mental picture that people like to invoke when they talk about bloggers, you know, rather than ever dealing with the substance of what any of these, um, these wascally bloggers say, no, 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 no. What they do is they just dismiss them as, oh, they're just people who live in their basement, you know, things like that. That's the that's the perennial um, <clears throat> ad hominem, if you would, that uh, these folks use. But anyway, so, you know, I was able to go back into my archives of uh, stuff that I've been writing about uh, regarding Hybels, um, you know, going back into, you know, six, seven years ago. And, uh, and lo and behold, uh, you know, the, the pattern that I saw, uh, well, that I went through back then, uh, you know, let me put it this way. Okay. You'll notice I'm kind of just at this point, I'm just winging it as far as my monologue is concerned because I'm talking and, you know, and kind of ruminating all at the same time. So you're, you're experiencing my brain marinating over a particular problem, um, in real time. Isn't this fun? But uh, the idea is this, is that uh, back in 2004, 2005, evangelicalism still had some substance to it. At least, you know, uh, what it's become isn't what it was back then. So, you know, seven, eight years ago, um, you could still say that there was some, there was some core of, of, uh, of doctrinal teaching going on in evangelicalism. And and men like Warren and Hybels, they were seen as uh, coming in and really challenging, you know, that the need for creeds, or if you would, uh, it's, it's solid, sound doctrine. And their actions always were con uh, were consistent with people who were doing things to expand and explode the uh, the 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 traditional definition of a Christian. And uh, so anyway, we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about that connection. And by the way, I, I'm seeing what what Hybels was doing in 2004. I think uh, James McDonald is doing today. So anyway, we'll, we'll like, but that's not for today. That's for a different edition of Fighting for the Faith. But I just want to let you know that I'm working on that. So so we got email. I got an email from Pastor Charmley I want to read today. I've got Harold Camping News. Um, we got Cindy Jacobs. Good night. Um Cindy Jacobs has weighed in regarding the Occupy Wall Street folk. And I kid you not, in this video, she um, gives us a full-blown prophecy. I mean, you know, she, she claims to be receiving, you know, direct revelation from God, the Holy Spirit, as she's waxing eloquent here. Um, let's see here. And then, oh, yeah, this. <clears throat> you know, here at uh, Fighting for the Faith, we like to engage in parody. Um, but the problem is, is that um, mm, mm, the parodies we do here at Fighting for the Faith oftentimes end up being prophetic. And here's the deal. I haven't got a prophetic bone in my body. 
Um, um, however, I do have an ability to, you know, kind of see patterns and, and connect dots and being, uh, and, and at least come up with a way of connecting those dots to come up with some kind of a trajectory. And so uh, here at Fighting for the Faith, uh, one of our regular features is our Marty Python's Flying Circus Church. And uh, in the Marty Python's Flying Circus Church, one of the uh, ones we have there uh, is uh, is a bit about a guy who purchased a sermon that wasn't Christ-centered and cross-focused. And one of the lines there was uh, did you know what, something about purchasing the uh, uh, the Midget Cannon Expansion Pack. And um, boy, I got to tell you. Um, <laughs> We've added a new uh, a, a new exhibit to the Museum of Idolatry today. Um, uh, Church by the Glades, by the way, they've uh, they've been in the uh, sermon series entitled "Circus by the Glades." They um, they've literally become a circus church, and so um, I if you if you in fact you got to see this to kind of get the full thing. Uh, I kid you not. The only thing missing from this video that they did at the opening of their of the sermon series was the midgets firing out of cannons. Um, they had everything else. They had trapeze going on. They had people juggling folks on stilts, uh, you know, people balancing, they, uh, a high wire thing going on. I mean, and and and, and, and then a gal uh, doing, a, a, I think, a Britney Spears cover song. And, uh, I mean, just, I mean, it's as circus church as you could possibly get. So if you want to see this, you uh, go to the Museum of Idolatry, and you can find it at a littleleven.com. A littleleven.com, if you want to see this, and it says Circus Church dot 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 literally, and uh, and so that's uh, by the way uh, that particular exhibit um, clinched who we would be uh, reviewing today during our sermon review time in hour number two. And so for uh, hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, we will be doing the first sermon or reviewing the first sermon. In that sermon series entitled "Life Is a Circus," uh, from Circus by the Glades, uh, David Hughes is the ringleader there, and uh, that's in Coral Springs, uh, Florida. So we're going to be um, taking a look at that. So if it seems like I'm kind of like all over the map today, I, I am a little bit over all over the map. But uh, you know, I just buckle in and uh, you know, put your helmet on, tinfoil pyramid hat, uh, bendy straws, duct tape, all that stuff will help. Uh, definitely uh, an adult beverage will help for today's program. So with that, let's, uh, you know, let's dive into the program proper. Yeah, so we're going to be doing some. Uh, we're going to be reading an email from uh, Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley. Pastor Charmley is um, a regular emailer here at Fighting for the Faith, and uh, one whom uh, we have the ultimate respect for. I mean, Pastor Charmley does a fantastic job of rightly handling God's word, preaching Christ and Him crucified for sins, things like that. And uh, Pastor Charmley uh, recently sent me an email regarding um, the. Um, Steve Kelly's sermon that we uh, recently reviewed here about whether or not your destiny is connected to your leader. And uh, Pastor Charmley um, uh, chimes in. He says, Dear Chris, uh, just listening to Steve Kelly's tongue lashing administered to his congregation, anyone who has any sense 
should get out of that, quote, church because it's plainly for Steve Kelly rather than for anyone else. The tone is frankly abusive. The message is more or less, don't you dare question what I do or God will do horrible things to you. That is not how any Christian pastor should speak to anyone. What is worse, there's no gospel there. He also has no idea how to interpret the Bible. Paul is never said to have caused problems in the church at first. Kelly is a pathological eisegete. <laughs> yes, he is. He says, I fail to see any point in that travesty when he interpreted the uh, when he interpreted the Bible correctly. Now, there is a sense in which our destinies are are connected to our leader because Jesus is our forerunner who has entered the heavenly sanctuary for us. And because he has done so, all his people will follow him. In that sense, and in, and that only, is our destiny connected with our leader. And it works the other way as well because if you are following Satan, you will, fare, you, you will share his fate. So a great point, Pastor Charmley. You know, actually several really good points. Number one, um, there's no denying it. Steve Kelly, the message that he preached was if you don't if you don't do what he says and you dare to ask questions, then God's gonna mess you up. That's basically the gist of that sermon. That's not a Christian message at all. That's that, that I, I mean, that's satanic. And uh, and then your points about the fact that our, our destinies are are connected to our leaders. Uh, I love the fact that you shoot way beyond just any of our of our earthly leaders, but you point out ultimately who our our leaders really are. You are either a repentant sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and in that sense, your leader has gone into the holy of holies and offered his own blood as a sacrifice for your sins and your fate is connected to him, your leader, or you're still connected to your father, the devil. And uh, I think that's the exact way of looking at it. So, uh, Pastor Charmley, thank you for your emails. As always, uh, they are very informative and right to the point. All right, moving along here. Now, uh, this uh, actually comes from the Indianapolis Star. Headline reads, School of Thought, Oprah Winfrey. Mm-hmm. This is a short little piece that was uh, in the Indianapolis Star this morning, and uh, here, here's what it says. Now, uh, folks, uh, those of you out there who think that Oprah Winfrey is your Christian sister, yeah, I hate to break it to you. Um, she, um, she, um, well, she ain't your Christian sister. Um, far, far, far from it. This little piece reads, <clears throat> Oprah Winfrey, Winfrey meditated with more than 400 women in in Iowa and talked to students about her spiritual journey. Winfrey showed up with a film crew Wednesday at the K-12 Maharishi School in Fairfield, Iowa, which specializes in, quote, consciousness-based education. And the uh, <laughs> consciousness-based education. So uh, Oprah Winfrey meditated. Um, I wonder if she was doing centering prayer. Consciousness-based education, Oprah Winfrey. Um, yeah, um, see, here's the deal: is uh, that's that has nothing to do with Christianity. Uh, uh, that's um, that's frightening on so many levels. It's not even funny. 
But I mean, the idea that uh, that Oprah Winfrey is meditating with 400 people at a consciousness-based education school for K through 12 kids, um, there's some serious, serious problems uh, going on here. This has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is not about meditating and experiencing some kind of enlightened consciousness. Um, yeah, um, if if you if you or anybody you know thinks that uh, Oprah Winfrey has anything to offer them uh, regarding uh, that has anything to do with spirituality. Um, yeah, uh, Oprah Winfrey's not your spiritual sister, um, unless of course. Uh, you are an unrepentant pagan or a false teacher or a heretic. So, yeah, if you know anybody who's caught up in this kind of stuff, uh, you need to reach out to them, pray for them, and, and preach Christ and him crucified for your sins and teach them the dangers of uh, meditation, and especially when it comes to spiritual consciousness, because that's all about attaining enlightenment much the way the Buddha did. And what, what does that enlightenment mean? Well, it means discovering that you are God. So... Yeah, just something to keep in mind. All right, we're up on our first break. If you would like to email me regarding anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Uh, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. 
That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Oh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see. Uh, Christ-centered uh, gospel Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well. I'll give them a try. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Warning, um, sound doctrine matters. You don't get to just believe whatever you want and call it Christianity. Yeah, that's why we have a Bible. It teaches particular things. Yeah. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. And you can partner with us financially 
by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. kind of sad. I think this is going to be our last Herald Camping update. So I won't be able to go into my soundboard and play with the death and destruction board that I set up. But one last time. this. Wish we'd all been ready for what I don't know, but... Wish we'd all been ready the world ended on Friday, apparently. melodic chainsaw I've ever heard in my life. Anyway, um, yeah, in case you're not uh, familiar with the story here, uh, Harold Camping uh, remembered the whole May 21st thing. Well, that didn't happen. And, uh, well, he said 
that uh, God had, uh, well, shaken the world in judgment and that there's nobody else who can be saved. And for sure, absolutely for sure, October 21st would be the end of the world. And, um, well, it's October 24th. But uh, don't worry, Harold Camping assured everybody that, um, well, that, um, that, that God would kill all the wicked people painlessly, uh, that didn't happen either. So, uh, yeah, where do we go from here? Um, well, from the Christian Post, headline reads, Harold Camping, Camping Doomsday Wrong Again, now on to December of 2012. By the way, I just want to let you all know that my daughter's 16th birthday is on, well, the, the day that the Mayan calendar ends in 2012. And so... Um, we're pretty sure that the Mayans just ran out of room. That's why the calendar ends there because, you know, you know, at some point, you know, you're, you're doing a circle and because if you look at their calendar, it goes in a circle. At some point you run out of room. And so they probably just ran out of room for, you know, and, you know, and of course, if they were around today, they, you know, cause I mean, seriously, think of it this way. Okay. Um, back in those days in the Mayan world, I mean, they made calendars out of stone. And so you wouldn't want to have to like remake a calendar year after year after year, because doing it in stone is kind of complicated and difficult. And so, I mean, nowadays we, you know, we have our calendars on our computer, but I remember if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted a day planner, you know, or a calendar, you'd have to go out and buy a paper-based calendar, and so, um, you know, nobody, nobody back when I was growing up, you know, like in, I remember in 1984, my dad gave me this really cool leather bound, um, day planner and you know, it started, it start. in fact, it started a few months early. It, it actually started in October of uh, 1985, not 85, 85, 1983 and went all the way through to uh, December, the end of December, 1984. And uh, I remember using that when I was in, you know, in high school and, you know, writing down things, you know, like homework assignments and stuff like that. And, you know, and keeping appointments, you know, in my day planner. And see, the thing is, is that, I mean, nobody, nobody thought that, you know, when we, you know, look at, look around us, all of our paper-based calendars, they all end, they all end on December 31st, 1984. <gasps> that means the world is ending. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's real simple. Just look at the Mayan calendar. You go, okay, it goes in a circle. It was made out of stone. Making stone calendars is kind of complicated. They ran out of space at, tw at the year 2012. Yeah, I mean, so you know, they just, you know, if the Mayans were around today, they'd get another circle out and start at 2013 and just, you know, keep circling around. You, you get what I'm saying anyway. But uh, so, yeah, my, my, my daughter's 16th birthday is on um, the day the Mayan calendar ends. And so uh, we, we've decided that uh, we're, we're having a sweet 16 end of the world party for her. So I think I've mentioned this. But anyway, <clears throat> Harold Camping, let me read here. Uh, Luisa... Uh, Luisa Alaskuza, I can't pronounce this woman's last name. Anyway, Luisa writes, she says, as October 22nd dawned on the world, another rapture date prophesied by California-based Christian radio broadcaster. Can why, why do we have to call him a Christian radio broadcaster? There's nothing Christian about him. Uh, broadcaster Harold Camping turned out to be a dud, which did not surprise much of the public already familiar with the Bible teacher's false prophecies. Yeah, um... 
if if any of his past failed prophecies were any indication as to what his chances were of actually getting one right, well, then you know. So after his doomsday prediction of May 21st and a massive advertising campaign arranged by Camping and his family, Radio International, the broadcaster who claimed to have discovered the key to a numerical dating code contained in the Bible has uh, become a target of mockery and general antipathy. Now, here's the deal. Okay, now, always keep this in mind. When you're dealing with false prop, uh, false teachers and false prophets, there's two groups. you got the false teacher and those who are being deceived by them. Um, at this point, I have like zero, zero respect um, for Harold Camping. My prayer is that he will repent. Um, I don't believe for a second that he's going to. I mean, the, the guy has caused people to literally lose uh, you know, entire fortunes, uh, you know, the, all of their savings, uh, you know, you, people have uh, foregone jobs or foregone going to college and things like that because they believed him. And, uh, and uh, you know, he's as unrepentant as unrepentant uh, false teachers get. And uh, what's interesting is, is that um, uh, the um, folks over there at Family Radio, the news is reporting that, uh, that uh, people who turned in to, uh, tuned into family radio on Saturday, uh, October twenty second, that uh, that family radio basically th- they sounded sad that uh, the world didn't end uh, as predicted on on October twenty first, but had the audacity to ask for money, had the audacity to ask for money so that they can continue their worldwide outreach of reaching people with the gospel. Um, no, I'm sorry. Family radio has lost the right, period, to tell anybody anything about the Bible. They need to get out of of Christian broadcasting or of religious broadcasting altogether. They have zero credibility. And at, I, I would also say that uh, former followers who've lost their you know who've lost their life savings, um, you know. It's, um, I, my, I, I feel bad for them. I, those are the people I really, truly feel bad for. And if you know them, if you know anybody who, who believe this and kind of hung on to the, the bitter end here, you need to reach out to them, pray for them and reach out for, to them with the biblical gospel, because, uh, being burned that way, not just once, but twice in one year, uh, those people are likely to become angry atheists. Uh, and so you want to reach them with the biblical gospel and help them to understand they were deceived by a wolf. Anyway, um, the story continues. Most evangelical Christian leaders have renounced camping in his false preachings. The Reverend Robert Jeffress, uh, a senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, even said in a Thursday interview with the Christian Post that the radio founder and host should be muzzled for his false prophecies. Yeah, um, yeah I... Even, I'm not even convinced he's going to be able to survive the stress of uh, two failed false prophecies. Anyway, Camping was also targeted by his former followers who spent all of their savings on the May 21st Doomsday Campaign. These people reportedly expected they would no longer need money in his radio Q&A show, Open Forum, in which Camping used to reply to callers' questions. He was attacked by one such dismayed listener on May 23rd. Other callers were simply deeply disappointed. Quote, in my case, I, I don't know... I don't know what it means to be faithful anymore because I'm really disappointed. A listener said at the time, I was one of those 200 million Mr. Camping uh, that was praying for the day to come, not only uh, to finally be get to be with the Father, but also to finally see judgment, like you said, in the good book. 
Many wonder what will happen uh, and now uh, to camping and if he will recalculate some more for a new doomsday prophecy. A religion scholar who studied doomsday prophets told the Christian Post on October 7th that it's unlikely anyone will pay any more attention to camping. Quote, it surprises me that he was able to continue this for this long, he said at the time. The radio host himself has not made a statement as of yet and has been avoiding the media. In fact, I saw a report from one news outlet that uh, camping's uh, folks over there at Family Radio have been coached to not talk to anybody in the media, which makes you wonder if, if they think that uh, people are just going to you know not notice or just you know go away. Oh, maybe we can just stonewall them and we'll never have to answer as to why they, we got that one wrong. Anyway, um, the uh, quote, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we at the family at family radio have been directed here. Yeah, this is uh, th- this story covers us. We at family radio have been directed not to talk to the media or the press. Camping's daughter responded to an email inquiry sent by the Christian Science Monitor on Friday. But as the Herald camping doomsday craze may finally be over, it is unlikely that people will stop wondering about end, the end times date theories claiming that the world will end on December uh, 2012, for example, abound. In 2008, ABC reported on a story of a man who had quit his job already in 2006 because he believed the world would end come 2012. That was why he formed a survival group and began collecting various gear uh, that was to help him survive the apocalypse. How do you survive the apocalypse? Oh, man. Anyway, his survival gear included water purifiers, dust masks, vegetable seeds. The man quoted the ancient Mayan cyclical calendar as proof of his doomsday belief. The Mayan calendar has reportedly last renewed itself approximately 5,125 years ago and is set to end again, supposedly with with catastrophic consequences uh, in 2012, wrote ABC. But this man... Uh, case is not a lone one. Uh, Google 2012 and the first results to come up after the movie with the same title, which of course also depicts the alleged apocalypse of the following year. Are websites debating whether or not 2012 is the doomsday year uh, with long lists of apparent evidence? The website Rapture Ready, for example, has a whole arsenal of apocalypse-related data, including Rapture Ready News, probably the most popular such website is December2012.com. The website features a doomsday countdown, which is at <laughs> which is at 425 days, 21 hours as of Saturday afternoon with an online store, which lets visitors purchase survival supplies. Well, the world's going to end in 425 days. What do I need survival supplies for? <sighs> yeah, I remember the whole um, <clears throat> Y2K uh, debacle. Yeah, here's the deal. I just, when Jesus shows up, everyone's going to know it, okay? And it, no one's going to know about it until he shows up. End of discussion. I don't need survival supplies to figure out how to survive the last day. That's silly. And like I said, the, the reason why the Mayan calendar ends at 2012 is because they did their calendar in stone and they ran out of room. <laughs> just... Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> just, okay, so, all right, moving along here, um, I'm looking at my time, um, okay, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go a little bit long in this segment so that I could get both, uh, Cindy Jacobs as well as the Museum of Idolatry thing in, uh, before our, um, before our break, so, um, yeah, if we're gonna, if we're going to do a, a Cindy Jacobs update, I've got to play our, 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 well, Dominionist, uh, music, here we go. 
What do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Before each night is done, their plan will be unfurled by the dawning of the sun. They'll take over the world, the pinky and the brain, yes, pinky and the brain. The twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overflow the earth. The pinky, the pinky and the brain, 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 brain. brain. Right, so uh, uh, prophetess apparently uh, Cindy Jacobs. Um, by the way, if you want to see her website, um, it, the name of it is the Generals. I think it's uh, thegenerals.org. Um, boy, she got a wing dinger that just came out too. Um, yeah, um, <clears throat> she's talking about the Occupy Wall Street folk, and uh, he, the 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 interesting thing about this is. Um, she f- slips into full-blown prophecy mode where she's prophesied, thus saith the Lord. Uh, no kidding. Uh, yeah, here, here's Cindy Jacobs to explain uh, about the forces of darkness that are at work in the Occupy Wall Street thing. Here we go. As I've been praying and been watching the news, asking the Holy Spirit to show me what's happening, you know, we've been having demonstrations at Wall Street, you know, and we can say there's validity to what people are saying. People have lost their jobs and people are hurting. But the Lord showed me that there was a clear uh, a principality, a power of darkness, as it were, that is coming against the nation. Ephesians 6. Mm. So the Occupy Wall Street thing, there's a clear principality of darkness that's at work there. And the Lord showed you this. Talks about, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or against people, but against principalities and powers, rulers of darkness, wicked spirits in the high places. This is just what the Bible says, and Christians should not be afraid to just say what the Word of God says. So I'm just going to give this prophetically to you. Okay, so she's going to give us this prophetically. Now, what you're going to hear from this point on is Cindy Jacobs uh, prophesying, Old Testament style, thus saith the Lord. Here we go. And the Lord would say there's a spirit of anarchy trying to arise in the land. In fact, it's not something just happening, says the Lord, in America. Okay, so this is not just happening in America, says the Lord. Okay, let that sink in for a second. Cindy Jacobs here is claiming that God is speaking directly to her, thus saith the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Cindy Jacobs. You better start taking this down and tack this on to the back of your Bible. You know, I don't know if she's a major or minor prophet at this point. Depends on the length of the book, I guess. But you might want to start taking this down. Thus saith the Lord. Yeah, we can call this, you know, we've got we got Ezra, Nehemiah, we got Micah, Habakkuk. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and now Jacob's, right? That's what's going on here. But other nations as well. And it is trying to shift nations to begin to to um, 
uh, literally see powers of darkness come in that will begin to foment revolutions, begin to cause massive unrest that will spark civil unrest. And the Lord would say that it is a time to stand on the watch and pray. For surely nations are at tipping points. And this spirit of anarchy, says the Lord, would like to come in and tip the scale, where not only there was massive civil unrest, but in some places it could lead to actually a, um, like civil wars between peoples, between classes. How much you want to bet if you were to take this down transcript style? You take this prophecy down, transcribe it, it wouldn't make a bit of sense. Because I'm not hearing anything that makes any sense at all. But at this point, here's the deal. Cindy Jacobs has exalted herself to prophet status. Same kind of prophet that you would get from the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. None of this makes any sense. And not only that, based on what she's saying, oh, the Spirit of the Lord says that uh, that the spirit of anarchy would want to uh, cause civil unrest. That doesn't make any sense theologically or biblically. She's not hearing from God the Holy Spirit. She's self-deluded. And the Lord would say, this does not have to happen. This can be averted. Oh, good. How, how can we avert it? And it is time to pray. It is time to stand on guard and pray. So there you go. Um, Cindy Jacobs, it's uh, God. The Holy Spirit said to her, it's time for you to stand on guard and pray. Get to it. Get cracking. And, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, we can avert this thing. You know, just by standing on guard and praying. I don't even know what her advice really even means. But uh, you got to admit, uh, it's not every day you hear somebody basically claiming prophecy style, thus saith the Lord. Um, So there you go. So she's either a true prophet or a false prophet. So, And uh, I'm going to go with um, false prophet. Yeah, there's no way she's a true prophet. Just... Her theology doesn't jive with what scriptures teach, so she ain't hearing from God the Holy Spirit. Now, she may be hearing uh, from some spirit, but it ain't God the Holy Spirit. All right, moving along, last thing before we go into our uh, into our break for this, you know, before the second hour and then come into our sermon review. Um, yeah, if you want to see this, go to uh, alittleleven.com. Alittleleven.com, that is the website for the Museum of Idolatry. The Museum of Idolatry. At alittleleven.com, uh, you will see a um, an exhibit entitled Circus Church dot dot dot. Literally. Yeah, you, you can't parody the church anymore. And I've got photographs of the ringleader with his uh you know with his whip and uh a gal on stilts, a juggler in a, a circus costume. And the pastor, David Hughes, uh, swinging on a trapeze. I yeah. Yeah, it's a full-blown circus church there at um, uh, Circus by the Glades. But uh, the best part is, um, is well, the performance to open up the sermon series, complete with a gal who uh, is uh, doing a cover song. I think this song is by Britney Spears. So this is during the praise and worship time, you know, uh, prior to the sermon. But uh, here, uh, see, see what you think. See if this is appropriate stuff to be singing at church. So this is from their promo for the circus church there at Church by the Glades.
There's only two types of people in the world The ones that entertain and the ones that serve now, just so you know, uh, if you if you can't see this at the moment, you haven't gone onto the website to look at this. Um, the gal who's singing, she's got backup dancers, just like any um, you know normal pop singer gal would. Baby, I'm a put on a show kind of girl. Don't want the back seat. Gotta be first. I'm like the ring leader. I call the shots. I'm like a firecracker. I make it hot when I put on a show. I feel the adrenaline moving through my veins. Spotlight on me and I'm ready to break. Spotlight on me. And it's all about me. That makes sense. These churches are all me-centered. Um, And I kid you not, you got jugglers and all kinds of crazy things going on, you know, on the sides and the back. It's just uh, unbelievable. I'm like a I want to say something here, and, um, and don't misunderstand me on this. The way she's dancing and the way her backup dancers are dancing, if one of my daughters were dressed like that and doing that, we'd have a fight. There would be words, and the words would not be along the lines of, I'm so proud of you, dear. It would be more along the lines of, didn't I raise you better than this? How do you think you're glorifying God by slutting yourself around like that? Nothing about Jesus here at this church. Gotta admit, I'm very disappointed that they did not use the midget cannon expansion pack. This would have been the place and time to do it. Based on this, I mean, you got to come to the conclusion that Jesus can really put on a show. Yeah, complete with uh, <clears throat> slutty moves by um, the backup dancers and the woman singing. All eyes on me in the center of the ring, just like the circus. 
And that was the uh, opening for uh, <clears throat> Circus by the Glades. And um, as a result of that particular video, we will be uh, visiting and reviewing the sermon, uh, the first sermon in the series, and entitled Life is a Circus when we get back from our second break. Um, yeah, that was the opening for a church service. Um, have no idea what it has to do with Christ. Have no idea with what that has to do with preaching and proclaiming sound biblical doctrine, confessing and singing the faith, uh, at least the way people have done it in the past. Uh, it's, I'm sure that was relevant. I'm sure that they were able to draw a large crowd. But remember, the whole idea behind the seeker-driven movement is, is that you do those things, you put on spectacle and show to draw a crowd so that you can then give them the gospel and conv you know convince the unconvinced or convince a seeker to take the next step towards god well we're going to review this uh, the sermon the first in the series to see if um you know if there was a clear proclamation of the gospel if god's word was rightly handled so that those who were drawn to see the spectacle uh the see let's find out if they were actually uh, confronted with their sins brought to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins by Christ shed blood for them on the cross. If you're betting that they, that they heard a clear proclamation of the gospel in this uh, sermon, mm, your money might be better spent not betting along those lines. Now, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we are back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. Sermon review time. So we're going to be uh, checking the content of the uh, sermon from the um, 
uh, Circus by the Glades. That's what they're calling themselves for this sermon series. And we're just going to see if, um, you know, are we hearing the, uh, is this a biblical sermon that rightly handles God's word? Is this Christ-centered? Well, let's uh, figure this out here. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Circus by the Glades. The name of the sermon, Life is a Circus. Now, I'm not trying to be derogatory by calling them Circus by the Glades, as you will hear in this sermon. Uh, delivered by David Hughes, their head pastor there. Uh, this is a name that they are proudly taking for themselves. Now, here's the deal. The whole point of this spectacle, the jugglers, the the uh, trapeze acts, the folks who are doing the, uh, you know, you know, the dancing and all that kind of stuff and the, you know, the the whole thing, the ringleader and all of that, the whole spiel for the theme, that's all to create spectacle, to make them relevant, to tell the people out there in Coral Springs, Florida, that that this church cares about them. And so they've created a, an experience for them to come and be a part of, and so now we're going to question whether or not the church really grew as a result of this. So did the uh, pagan, uh, the non-believer who wandered in, to the circus there um, when this was preached just a couple weeks ago, did they hear God's word rightly preached? Was God's word correctly handled? Was this a biblical sermon? Second, was it Christ-centered and cross-focused? Did it center on Jesus Christ and what he did for us? Did it call sinners to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins in Jesus' name? as a result of his shed blood on the cross for them and his vicarious penal substitutionary death and his resurrection from the grave on the third day after that? That's the question we're going to answer. I mean, if this is really all about evangelism, right, that's what all this spectacle is about, to selflessly care for the needs of the, uh, the well, the religious spiritual consumers out there, the seekers, and to... And help them make a step towards Jesus. Let's find out if that was really what happened. Here we go. Welcome to another creative and encouraging teaching by Pastor David Hughes, lead pastor at Church by the Glades. For more information on Church by the Glades, including directions and service times, please visit us at www.cbglades.com. And if you're a guest, you're thinking, what did I get myself into? <laughs> hey, we like to have fun. We have an unapologetic fun factor at our church. The Bible teaches God's people on the way to heaven. We should have joy and display it in his house. Someone loudly say amen or clap, make some noise. You got some verses for that, David, that, uh, 
that what God intended was that we have joy and display it in his house by basically full-on performing a circus, turning the church into a circus. Do you have any verses that say that, David? So glad you're here. If you're a guest, I'm David Hughes, one of the pastors. And if you're here for the first time, this is a mystery series that we're launching today called Life is a Circus. But don't miss the subtitle. Subtitle. Life is a Circus and I'm Surrounded by Clowns. I wanted to create a series of teachings that everyone who lived in South Florida could relate to. So, uh, so who would say, yes, I have a few clowns in my life. I got some clowns at the workplace. I have a couple of clowns on the campus. Come on, raise your hands. I got a few clowns in my family, right? I got, I, in fact, in fact, put your hands down. Who brought your clown with you to church today? Who brought your clown? Yes, I'm right here with my clown. Help me figure out my clown. So uh, be here all four weeks, if you will. And, and wow, I get to stop right now and give it up for our Saturday night crowd at Sawgrass. This is crazy. This is a 2,000 seat room. We had well over 2,000 people in this room. We had to bring chairs in. We had standing room and uh, overflow last night. And then we'll stop right now because we meet in more than one location. We have our Sample Road campus. Let's stop and give it up for Sample Road. You're with us at Sample Road. Glad you're with us. And or if you're watching on television, honored you're taking the time, or watching on the internet, glad you're with us. So if you're here or watching online on TV, find your Bible. Find your Bible and turn to Psalm 19. Say it with me loudly. Psalm 19. Come on, everybody. Psalm 19. Way up in the cheap seats. Psalm. That's good. Psalm 19. And uh, the inspiration, the inspiration for this one-month series, Life is a Circus, was an insult. An insult. Uh, I got word that this conversation started on the internet. I think it was a blogger that launched the whole thing. And they called our church, Church by the Glades, they called us Circus by the Glades. And, and there became this really fun dialogue, our people kind of defending our church. But anyone ever insult you? And after they insult you, you're like, well, thank you very much. I mean, it's, it turns out to be an awesome insult. They, they kind of want to jam you, but actually you kind of think about it and go, that's just kind of a nice thing you just said. And so when I heard about that insult, you know, someone calling us circus by the glade, I thought, well, who doesn't like to go to the circus? I mean, when you think of the circus, you think of ideas like, you know, thrilling, compelling, moments that have you on the edge of your seat at the circus, you laugh, you eat too much junk food. Oh, well, the circus welcomes all people, children of all ages. The, the, church, the circus is multi-generational. In fact, the circus is so good you can't wait till it comes back around. So whoever the blogger was, if you're here today or you're watching online, that you called us Circus by the Glades, thank you very much. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. We'll just receive that. So uh, the inspiration for the sermon series was the fact that somebody on a blog rightly pointed out that what's going on there at Church by the Glades looks more like a circus than a church. And they, well, they just said, that's, that, that's not an insult, that's a praise. So we're going to embrace it, and we're going to take it to the next level. In fact, we're going to do a full-blown sermon series and be a circus for however many, long, however, however many weeks long this sermon series is. Hmm. So rather than listening to the substantive critique of your blogger, you just decided to jam him back. Because, you know, I love some bloggers. I read some blogs religiously, but I don't read negative bloggers. 
There are some people online, they feel because of the anonymity of the internet, they can just bash and critique and criticize. And Yeah, that's right. You never actually listen to the substance of their critique. Maybe those bloggers have a point, but no, no, no. Watch what happens here. This is what we call an ad hominem. Watch this. And typically those are people who've never done it themselves. They just criticize others who are trying to do it. In fact, in that case, I think blog stands for basement living opinion giving. And so there you go. Basement living opinion giving. That's what blogger means means you don't have a life. You don't have any, you know, whatever it is your critique is, it doesn't matter. If you say something cr criticizing them because at least they're trying, um, you know, then you're just a blogger, a basement living, think mom's basement, opinion giver. That's called an ad hominem argument. It, it avoids the, con the substance of the critique. Notice this. In the seeker-driven movement, there are no godly critics none none whatsoever if you say anything publicly criticizing their methodologies and what they're doing or their, what they're saying you you're not a godly critic you're just a basement living opinion giver these guys will not be corrected by anyone and I, I don't worry about them too much. So, uh, but if you're watching, we love you. And thanks for, we, we just received the whole Circus by the Glades thing. I guess the critique was about us being entertaining. Seriously? Do you want to come for an hour and be bored? I, I don't find the term entertainment, entertaining insulting. Now, listen, if we sacrifice substance or content, but we teach you the word of God around here. Now, that's what we're going to test. So David Hughes claims that they teach you the word of God there. So we're going to use the sermon. Is he rightly handling God's word in this sermon? And is this a Christ-centered, cross-focused sermon that will confront the sinners in Coral Springs and the surrounding area with their sin against a holy and just God and bring them to repentance and the forgiveness of their sins as a result of what Jesus did for them on the cross? So here he's saying, well, well we teach the Bible around here. Okay, well, we're going to test that. We're going to see how you do, David. But to entertain means to hold people's attention for prolonged periods of time. Based on that definition, Jesus was very entertaining. So we're going to give you a... Yeah, see, again, he's just obfuscating at this point. When somebody made the critique that they're being entertaining there, it's a particular type of entertainment that distracts. So keep in mind, you only got so much time that you spend at church. And so if you're going to spend your time performing a circus and being entertained by circus acts then that time that you are at church, that's being sucked up with that activity, and you're not hearing what God's Word says in context. You're not being taught sound biblical doctrine. You're not being taught what Jesus has done or anything of the sort. So every minute you're doing something else is a minute that you can't be hearing God's Word correctly. And so, um, David, don't you find it just a little bit weird that... Um, that the church somehow survived for 2,000 years without us having to perform a single circus act in the church. Isn't that weird? I mean, in the, in the past, when people attended church, there was holy business to be tended to. Sins confessed. Prayers offered. The Lord's Supper to be eaten. God's word to be heard and learned. Now, see, now it's, you could sit there and say that, well, Jesus was entertaining. Yeah, Jesus never once 
held a circus. Jesus never once had a, the the uh, you know, first century Judean equivalent of Britney Spears get up and do a slutty dance prior to his delivery of the Sermon on the Mount or any of his teaching. By the way, there is a story in Scripture about a woman who danced like that. The end result was that John the Baptist lost his head. So, I mean, slutty dances are mentioned in Scripture, but never in a, never associated with Jesus. I'm sure they're entertaining, and they're, they're just as entertaining now as they were back then. But never are they associated with God's people doing such things. Never did, I mean, when the Apostle Paul went and spoke to the Areopagus, you know, in Athens. It, he wasn't accompanied with his posse of really hot-looking women. He didn't have jugglers. He didn't have midgets being fired out of cannons. He didn't have, you know, monkeys and trained animals and a ringleader and, you know, and balancing acts and, you know, and... Uh, you know, those aerial acts. He didn't have any of that going on. He just preached Christ and him crucified for our sins. The gospel doesn't need a circus. The circus distracts from the gospel, as you will find out as we listen to the sermon. So, again, he says, we preach the Bible around here. And uh, entertaining just means to hold people's attention. And Jesus was entertaining. Uh-huh. Yeah, right, okay. Again, we're going to see just how biblical this sermon is, just how Christ-centered it is. See if the sinners there in uh, Coral Springs heard what Christ did for them on the cross, explained correctly that they were confronted with their sins and brought to their knees in repentance. All kinds of content, life-changing substance, the Word of God, but we will try to capture your imagination. In fact, I feel sorry for any pastor in America who did not come out of an elevator this morning. I just do. So glad you're here. Find your Bible. Find Psalm 119. Oh, not 119. Psalm 19. Psalm, there's a 119. Just go to 19. Psalm 19. And uh, the talk this first week, this first week is, um, is on the essence of the church. Let's get down to it. What is the very essence of, of the biblical church, the New Testament church, a church like we endeavor to be? In fact, to broaden the conversation, what should be the, the essence of your life of faith as a Christian? What should that feel like? What should it look like? I, I think the biblical church, I think a, a, a Christ follower, the essence of your life should be like a really amazing circus act. So the essence of your Christian life is it should be like an amazing circus act. Oh, Who's been to the circus at least once in their lifetime? Once in their lifetime? As a little kid, I went to Ringling Brothers. That was great. Uh, but recently, I, my first time ever seeing the, the new one, kind of the renovation of the circus, the new animal circus, uh, Circus du Soleil. Am I saying that right? Circus du Soleil. All right, who's been to Cirque? It, it, it's, wow, it's very impressive. So my first time I'm there, and these people, what they can do, it is incredible. But Lisa will tell you the most amazing was the trapeze guy. Trapeze guy, I mean, this guy was so athletic. This guy was such an acrobat, and there were certain natural laws he had never heard of, like gravity. And it wasn't a tandem trapeze. It was not a flying trapeze. It wasn't a static. But it, was, it was one guy swinging back and forth, and he would let go and flip, and we're just watching that going, <gasps> it was incredible. And as we watched him, in our hearts and minds, there were two unique and distinct sets of kind of thoughts and emotions. In fact, Lisa expressed it. She leaned over as we were watching this guy fasting. She goes, I'm loving this. 
and I'm hating this at the same time. Know what it was? We were inspired by him. You know, one set of feelings or thoughts. We were motivated by him. We were moved by his athleticism, by, by his daring. Wow, this guy is spectacular. At the same time, uneasy, on the edge of our seat. You know, I, I think those commingled emotions that are so different should be the nature of the biblical church, you know? Now, now the important words so far are, I think, I think, I think. Yeah, uh, here's the problem, uh, David. You're not called to preach what you think. You're supposed to preach what the scriptures say. And I can't recall any passages in the scripture that say that our lives are supposed to be like circus acts. Oh, it should be, whether it's a circus act or who's a roller coaster fan? Roller coaster. I mean, you like a rock and roller coaster or maybe a really top notch adventure movie? It's both inspiring and disturbing. I think any church that teaches the Word of God, listen, listen, should be both of those things to you. I think any church that teaches the Word of God sometimes inspires you and encourages you. Other I think, I think, I think, I think. Where, where does the Bible teach this, David? Other times it disturbs you. I think as we teach God's wonderful Word, there are sometimes, man, it, it brings motivation and encouragement to your heart. Other times it messes you up in good ways. Are you with me? Are you with me? See, if you're here and you're new, let me tell you my agenda, for I have an agenda today. I want to see faith happen in your life. If you're here without Christ-centered faith, I want to see you choose faith. So you might think faith is a feeling. Faith is not a feeling. Faith is a choice to obey the Word of God, to center your life. No, it's not. Faith is not a choice to obey the Word of God. Faith is trust. That's what the Greek word pistuo means, to trust, to believe. Faith has an object, and that's Jesus Christ. Faith is not a decision to obey. That's to mix works with grace. It's not what the scriptures teach. On Christ, I want to see you make the choice of faith today. If you're here and already a Christian person, already a person of faith, I want to see God grow that faith, mature that faith. I want to see God help you realize your fullest God-given potential. And when you see someone living like that for Christ, you know what happens? You look at that person's life and what they do. It's kind of like that trapeze. You, you look at that person and just go, wow. I mean, watching trapeze, dude, there were several times I'm just going, wow, look at him. That's a How did he do that? Whoa. Right, right. Listen, as you live for Christ, as the Bible defines, your life should be so extraordinary. Your faith so complete. People should look at the way you do relationships and the way you handle problems, and the way you deal with stressors and, and clowns, and go, wow. Wait, wait, wait. Say the word wow. Um, so how does that point people to Christ? Because you have a positive or a, a, a way of inspiring people based on how you handle the stressors in your life. So people go, wow. Uh, you know, uh, there's a series of commercials out there. Uh, I forget who exactly is the uh, – I think it's the Audi commercials. I've seen them while watching the Indianapolis Colts losing badly this season. But um, the uh, the point is, is I think they have uh, Phil Jackson, uh, the uh, head coach for the Lakers, 
and former head coach of the Chicago Bulls. Uh, this is a guy they call him the Zen Master, and and they one of the one of the settings is they have him in a restaurant, and there's a master chef chewing out one of the sous chefs there, and you know basically just laying into him. And and Phil Jackson says, "I've found that that anger is the uh, is the enemy of teaching." You know something like that, and uh, and you know and so I so I I'm sitting there in awe of Phil Jackson. Oh, Zen Masters, uh, Phil Jackson, you are such an amazing. Per- Look at how you handle stressors and all. Oh, that's right, anger is the enemy of education or teaching. Oh wow, uh, how does that point me to Christ again? I mean, because he has a he has a a very calm way of of dealing with stressors in his life, but I don't recall any confession on his part of Jesus Christ being his God and Savior. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, you know, the Buddhist monks, when they meditate, they have they sure do have a fun way of being calm in the middle of stressors of life. Yeah, they just sit there and go, um, but how does that point people to Jesus and him crucified for our sins? All right, people should look at you and go, "Wow, look at look, you're amazing! Look at you, look at God!" And you, wow, wow, right? Wow. So I want to see there to be a wall factor. Uh, whose life? You don't want to live a life that's mundane. Yeah, I do. Uh, scripture talks about living a life that's mundane, and that being a good thing. Yeah, you don't believe me? Um, open up your Bible. Yeah, open it to First uh, Thessalonians chapter four. Starting at uh, verse 9, uh, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this to the church, uh, the churches there in Thessalonica. Uh, Thessalonica sorry. Uh, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, Work with your hands as we've instructed you so that we may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on nobody. You know, there's other passages uh, that are worth considering here regarding uh, living a mundane life. Um, Throughout the the apostolic, um, throughout the, um, well, the apostolic epistles, the, the Pauline epistles, we give uh, we get instruction uh, for uh, what to do if you're a slave. Okay, now I, I'm not saying the Bible condones slavery. That's not it at all. But it's it's fact of life that there are people who became Christians who were at the time of their conversion slaves. They were owned by some other human being as property. Their their life wasn't even their own. And the Apostle Paul doesn't point them to, oh, well, the Bible and Jesus wants you to not live a mundane life and to, and to, you know, to live a spectacular life. No, here's what uh, the Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to slaves. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, or Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves... Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So, um, yeah, it seems that the Bible wants us to live mundane lives. 
you know, just ordinary kind of stuff. Work quietly with our hands and things like that. I would even point to the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. In other words, God's will for you uh, folks out there is, you know, you children, is to be obedient and honor your parents. Don't lie. Don't steal. If, you, if you're not supposed to steal, that means you're supposed to work with your hands and provide for yourself and your family. We got other passages. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Seems kind of mundane to me. And then, you know, you got the whole thing about, you know, being faithful to your uh, to your spouse sexually, you know, not to, to not be impure sexually. That means, uh, yeah, you get to have the mundacity, the mundane life of being monogamous. That's God's will for you. Over and again, the scriptures tell us that God is glorified in what the world really kind of despises. Working hard, being a good wife, being a good husband, honoring your father and mother, being a good employee, things of that nature. Working quietly with your hands, being able to provide for yourself. I don't see any big um, passages about God's will is that you don't live a mundane life. In fact, it seems like God is glorified and has commanded good works in the mundane. Contrary to what uh, circus ringleader here, uh, David Hughes, is talking about. Dull, unspecial, your life, wow! Your life should be wow. So God, I want to see this wow kind of faith in your life. So how do we produce that here at Church by the Glades? Easy. We make our church all about two things. Two things. If you're new, I want to clarify this right off the bat. Our church is not about creative moments, so they're spectacular. It's not about really cool technologies. It's not about buildings. It's not about programs. Our church actually is a very streamlined, simplified ministry. It's about two things and two things only. Here's the two things we obsess about. Jesus. And, oh, you've heard that before. Jesus and his word okay now if that's true okay we're just going to test this if church by the glades or circus by the glades which they gladly have taken on as the moniker for themselves truly obsesses about jesus and his word then what we would expect from this point forward um in the sermon is to hear nothing but jesus through his word if this is what they obsess about then they need to prove this by actually opening up the Gospels and preaching from them and teaching from them in context. If you're going to obsess about Jesus and his word, then there's a simple way to prove that. It, it'll show up in your preaching. I mean, people, when they leave, will sit there and go, man, that guy, really, all he talked about was Jesus. And do you see how much time we spent in the word? Oh, man, I could barely keep up. Boy, they really obsess about Jesus there. So here's the deal. It's one thing to say you obsess about Jesus and his word. It's another thing to obsess about Jesus and his word. And the proof is always in the preaching. So, okay, so he said, Hey, Church by the Glades, we obsess about Jesus and his word. Great. Let's prove that, David. That's the two things that are really, really big deal to us. Jesus and his, say it with me, word. Come on, everybody. Jesus and his word. If anybody asks you what Church by the Glades is all about, you can say easy. Jesus and his 
word. We're about Jesus and his word. Jesus and his word. See, Jesus is the object of our faith. He's the focus of our faith. We are a Christ-centered church, but the way our faith grows is through study of the scripture, openness to the word of God. Great. Then get to it. Stop talking about it. By the way, um, talking about Jesus saying, hey, listen, man, Jesus is my homeboy. I got to tell you, Jesus, he is the object of my faith. Jesus, I got to tell you, man, man, Jesus, you know, um, when I start talking like that, I'm actually talking about myself. I'm not actually talking about Jesus. Talking about Jesus requires you to open up God's word and to talk about Jesus. Okay, so stop talking Jesus talk here, David. Open up the Bible and start preaching about Jesus. Prove that you're obsessed about Jesus and his word by opening up the word. The Bible says in Hebrews, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, that's Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So we want to hear the word of God. And faith is a big deal. It also says in the Bible, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we focus on the word of God. Now, here's what I propose. Well, good. Get to it. Stop saying you focus on it while not actually focusing on it. And when that happens and you grow, here's this wow factor that happens in your life. What happens is, as God grows your faith, man, the word of God does those two things. It inspires you and it kind of messes you up. I mean, the word of God will motivate you and encourage you and then disturb you. To okay, I want to point something out here. We are 10 minutes into the sermon. We are 25% of the way through the sermon. 25%. He's had people open up to Psalm 19, and he hasn't read any of that. He's sitting there saying how much they obsess about Jesus and his word, and one quarter of the way through the sermon, I'm not seeing any evidence that they obsess about Jesus and his word. Other times, true or untrue, it's true. Let me show you Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Here's the psalmist saying, look how the word of God blesses me. Man, I study and read scripture. It blesses me. It is so savory. It's so amazing. Here's what the psalmist says. He says about God's words. He says, they, God's words, are more precious than gold, uh, than, than, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey. Look at this. By keeping God's words, by keeping them, there is a great reward. There's a great, the word of God's practical. The word of God is my roadmap on how I deal with my career and deal with my goals and deal with setbacks and I deal with how I forgive people and love people and deal with difficult and the word So apparently the Bible's the missing manual for your life. Okay. Um let's read Psalm 19. I mean, he read a couple of verses, but I mean, if they're really obsessing about Jesus and his word, don't you think they'd want to, you know, read the whole psalm? I mean, Truth be told, um, the congregation that I'm a member of, every Sunday we work our way through an entire psalm, an entire segment of the Old Testament, uh, at least a chapter from one of the epistles and a whole big piece of uh, one of the gospels, uh, uh, piece of the gospels. So, um, hmm. Well, let, let's, uh, let's read Psalm 19, the whole thing. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and the words to the end of the world. 
In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Hmm. I think the psalmist said it so much better than David Hughes. It's kind of sad. That, I mean, for somebody who obsesses about God's word as much as he claims to, I mean, this is an amazing psalm. It would have been really beneficial to obsess enough about God's word to just work your way through the whole thing. It didn't take very long either. Hmm. We continue. The word of God is my great reward. The word of God shows me the pathway to heaven. So here, the author says, the Word of God is awesome. It encourages me. It inspires me, right? So, so the Word of God is very positive. Now, but bounce this verse off a New Testament verse. Hebrews 4, verse 12, describes another very different dynamic. The Word of God can well up in our minds and in our heart. Here's what it says in, in Hebrews 4, 12. It says, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged so, so here the word of God is a sword, a penetrating sword. Now, what is the purpose of a sword? Well, you don't pat people on the back with a sword, right? A sword is a weapon. It slices, it slices. So sometimes I walk into an environment like this, I'm praying that prayer. So at this point, we've got two, well, it's just a few verses ripped out of context. <sighs> We're not really being taught God's word, sad. God, I want to hear from you. I want to receive your word today. Instruct my life. Sometimes when I'm hurting, it encourages me. When I'm discouraged, it motivates me. But other times if I'm stuck or complacent or hanging on to toxic habits or sin, man, the word of God does this. Bam! I mean, just it's a sword. It, it convicts me. It penetrates my heart. So, so you're with me? Here the Word of God can do those two very different, distinct... Now, David, do you think that the people there at um, Circus by the Glades, um, do you think that any of them have sin in their life that they need to have brought to light to be convicted of? I mean, here you're talking about the convicting power of God's Word. Don't you think as the pastor there, you might want to, you know, open up the Scriptures and take them to those passages that would expose their sin so that they could then be brought to repentance and the forgiveness of those sins in Jesus' name? I mean, you are obsessing about God's Word, aren't you? Things, incredible. So, Psalm 19 
verse 10 and 11, is when you're hurting and you're down, it's been a tough week, you come in here, God will wrap his arms around you by way of scripture. In fact, the Bible becomes a big spiritual snuggie in your life. It brings you comfort. It gives you a sense of God's protection and love. But other times... Like- so just two verses ripped out of conf- uh, context become the spiritual equivalent of a snuggie. Oh, boy. It's like in Hebrews 4.12, it's not a snuggie, it's a scalpel. So the Word of God, when it's taught, you know, as we fuel and grow your faith, will do things. It will motivate you, and it will mess you up. It will encourage you and make you uneasy, easy, even disturb you, like watching that guy on the trapeze. You with me? Are you with me? Nod your head if you're with me. Nod your head if you're with me. If you need a little more clarification, again, my goal today is to use God's Word to help well up biblical faith in your life. So spend the rest of our time together talking about what faith looks like as biblically defined. In fact, I propose... I'll give you an illustration. Faith is a lot like a trapeze. Faith is a lot like... Hmm. It, could it be that he's just looking for something uh, real quick to find a sermon illustration since he's gone through all the trouble and paid all the money to the circus performers? A trapeze. Like write down three things about a, about a trapeze because watching this guy. I think I got a trapeze, guys. Give me that trapeze, if you will. Got a tra- all right, all right, trapeze right there. Maybe I have a trap. Oh, that's good. It's coming in. It's coming in. Faith is like a trapeze. Because as I watched trapeze guy that day, he was incredible. What impressed me? Well, one thing that impressed me was uh, his skill. His skill was amazing. He had spent hours. He had been disciplined. I mean, I can imagine all the practice, practice, practice. His athleticism, it was skill. It was skill. But the skill alone was not the thing that brought about the wow to his performance. It was skill plus something else, risk. Say the word risk, one, two, three, risk. It was skill plus risk that made. So the Christian life is about skill plus risk? Oh, please, can you give any passages that say anything like this? This performance so amazing. Risk, I think, is a vital component of any. Risk is a vital component. Not spelling, but risk is a vital component. (laughs) All right, David's spelling in public. That's always risky right there. Risk is a vital component of living life successfully, right? You've heard it said, no risk, no reward, no guts, no glory. But I think there's a myth in the... Yeah, no guts, no glory is not a biblical verse. The modern American church, the North American church, the Western church in this generation, that uh, we overvalue, not risk, but safe. I-, I think a lot of us come to church thinking, if I come to church or I study the Bible or if I live for Jesus, whatever, God will make my life very, very safe and very, very predictable. Safe, predictable, maybe even even you know, prosperous, but 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 risky. Oh no, no, no! And I think, and, and when I say risk, I don't mean being stupid. I don't mean God necessarily wants you you know, dive out of airplanes or dive with sharks unless you want to do that kind of stuff. That's not a God thing. Uh, I, I don't think it means when you're being risky for God that you leave your good, high-paying job and say, "Honey, I'm going to sell baseball cards on eBay out of my garage." That's probably not a good business move right now in this economy. But but many times in the Bible, I see God leveraging high stakes risk to grow and mature and reveal his children so risk risk i i think you know like the trapeze guy you gotta be willing willing you know take take a risk you know 
willing to be out there, willing, willing to make a difference. You got to be willing to do the whole, whole risk thing. If so you got to be willing to do the whole risk thing. Notice the, the words in front of that were, I think. He's not preaching from a biblical text here. If you will, trapeze, kind of a crooked trapeze. You look like you're confused. Let me break this down as clearly as I know how and just be honest about your life, especially a Christian person. Uh, maybe when you were young, what did you think your life would look like? No young person, no like teenager, early 20s says, I want my life someday to be very safe. I want my life to be kind of dull, unspecial, and mundane. That's, that's what I want for my life. I want my life to be like this boy. Yeah, that's what I want. No, no. When you're young, what do you do? You dream your life will soar. You want your life to soar. You want your life to fly. You want your life to be spectacular, right? That's, that's what you want in your life. You think, oh, man, someday I want to dream these big dreams. Man, someday I want to reach out there. I, I want my life to be extraordinary. Now, all of us, if you're my age, you had those dreams. I think even God-given dreams as a young person. In fact, you even thought, you know, to impact my generation, to change my world, to give myself to others, if it means some prayed-over, calculated risk, I'll, I'll do it. If I have to put myself on the edge to make it happen, I will do it. We all had those dreams back in the day, but what happened to you? Life. Probably some bad things in life. And when you were young, you had all these dreams about your life being extraordinary, your life so Notice he's not preaching from a biblical text. I thought they obsess about Jesus and his word there. None of these points are actually being made from a biblical text. Weird from somebody who obsesses about Christ and his word. Boring, but you know what happened? Bad things happen. Bad things. Maybe, maybe, maybe your parents you know, got a divorce. And you grew up in a single-parent home, and there's great single parents, but it's not what you saw for yourself. Maybe you, you dreamt you'd go to college. You couldn't afford college, but you thought you'd get that scholarship. But you didn't get the scholarship. So maybe you didn't go to college, or maybe you went to college, and you're 55 and still have your student loan you're trying to pay off. Uh, uh, maybe your career. You thought you would soar in your career. Man, fast-track me. Here I go. But it's been a slow road for you. Someone else got the promotion you richly deserved. Someone stole credit for what you did. Uh, maybe your job was moving slow or you lost your job. Maybe you suffered terrible financial set. I don't know. I mean, bad things happen to you. Maybe you were rejected by someone that, that you loved. Maybe someone you love died on you. And what happens when bad things happen after a while? It, it destroys that dream. The dream of your life, you would soar someday, you would fly someday. All of a sudden, you know what happens? Here's what you do. You lower your expectations. You, you lower your expectations. You lower your dreams. I, I can't hope that high. I, I, I can't achieve that much. I, I just, well, I go lower than that even. I, I'm a lower, lower, there you go. I'm a lower my dreams because I, I just, you know, that, that, that's all. Is that the lowest it can go because I want my life to be safe. And once upon a time, you thought you'd be the, the person on the trapeze, but now you settle for a safe backyard swing. <laughs> and it's, it's all about just being... Again, just a reminder, he's not preaching any of this from a biblical text. This is just him basically finding some illustration. When you were a kid, you had dreams to change the world. And now you've settled, you've lowered your expectations, and this is somehow bad. And he's just using the fact that he has a trapeze handy as a point uh, to make his point. But he's not actually making this point from a biblical text at all. Being safe, just being safe. My life, I want my life to be safe, right? You settled for safe. You're thinking, no, if I just have the safe little life, I just safe little, if I have a nice little family and 
nice little family and a little. So apparently, if you're not a if you're a Christian and you have a nice little family and you work hard at being a mom or a dad, and you know you you know you go to your job every day at your cubicle, or you know, mom, you're a homemaker and you're doing all the safe things. Apparently, you're a substandard Christian because you're not risk taking. Again. This man, David Hughes, said that their church, Circus by the Glades, is obsesses about Christ and his word, but this point that he's making is not taught in God's word. The passages that I read earlier flat out contradict what he's saying here. House, if I can live a safe life, no bad things, if I can live behind a gated community, homeschool my kids, oh, my kids, anytime they go outside, they need to wear helmets and lots of sunscreen because we've got to be safe. My, my, my 21-year-old daughter, her curfew will be 830 because safe, right? Right, someone thinks that's a good idea. Safe. And, and, and so you settled for safe. This is kind of dull. This is not really exciting. This is, this is you, you thought you would soar, you know, but it's safe. And every once in a while, because you do attend church by the glades, God speaks to your heart. He speaks to that, that reckless part of your heart, that amazing, that, that dream is, is starting to think, yeah, I need to get outside myself. I need to so if you attend church, a circus by the glades, God will speak to the reckless side of your heart. Again, he's not preaching this from a biblical text. There are no texts that teach this. Serve someone else. I need to leverage myself. I, I need to do something. And, but you still take safe little chances, right? I'll volunteer. I'll volunteer in the kids' ministry once a month because I feel guilty. Okay, here I go. Volunteer once. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, man, I don't know if I can do that again. That was harder than I thought. And I had, had some kid. I don't know if I can do that again. I'll, okay, I'll volunteer for the parking team. I'll do the parking team just once. I'll try the parking team one time, one time. Here I go. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, wait a minute. Somebody, somebody flipped me off. I hope it was a visitor. Oh, my goodness. I can't. I can't. I didn't feel very safe. I didn't. Okay, David. Okay, I want to let you all know that we are more than halfway through now this sermon, if you can even call it that. I would like to interrupt um, David Hughes and uh, interject here something that CFW Walther uh, said in one of his lectures on the proper distinction of law and gospel. Said Walther, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, we read, Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God does not tell you to preach the law in order to make men godly. The law makes no one godly. But when it begins to produce its proper effects, the person who is feeling its power begins to fume and to rage against God. He hates the preacher who has shouted the law into his heart, and he feels that he cannot slip off of its coils. Where this has happened, you may hear people say, We shall never again go to that church. Why that preacher strikes terror in my soul! I prefer to attend the services of the Reverend So-and-So. He makes you feel so good. While listening to him, you discover what a good man you really are. Alas, in eternity, these people will wish to take revenge on the preacher that preached them into hell. I think that's exactly what David Hughes is doing here. He's going to preach these people into hell. Because he's not preaching the law to show people their sin. Augustine once wrote, The usefulness of the law lies in convicting man as of his infirmity and moving him to call upon the remedy of grace, 
which is in Christ. So we're not hearing law and gospel preached properly. We're not hearing anything that even remotely resembles a biblical Christian sermon. At this point, you're being chastised for not being a risk taker, for having a mundane life, apparently. David talked about generosity, generosity, that we should be generous people and give back to God a portion of what he gives to us. <gasps> okay, we should be generous, I guess. We'll give 2%. We'll start with 2%. So being a risk taker means giving 10% to your church. Safe, safe, safe. And, and we- Every time he does that obnoxious sound, he's swinging out on the uh, trapeze. We think it's all about safe and predictable and kind of being selfish, and that's what life's all about. In fact, after a while, man, though you're a Christian person, your biggest, boldest dream is, God, someday may I die in my sleep? Could I just die in my sleep? Go right to heaven, die in my sleep. And here's the funny thing. Maybe, maybe God answers that prayer. Many years from now, you do have a nice dream, and you die in your sleep, and you stand before God. You get off like your little swing. You stand before God, and you're going to go, Ta-da! Ta-da! And, and you think, like, the heavenly host is going to be impressed. Like, really? Really? I mean, I gave you this, this life that could be epic and extraordinary, that you soar, take some chances, and you think God's going to go, well done, my good and faithful servant. Whoa. So at this point, so now he's basically saying, if you don't, if you're not a risk taker, don't expect God to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're now dealing with a salvation issue. That's how serious this is. Because if you don't hear God saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant, the only other option is depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me into the lake of fire, into the fiery furnace prepared for the devil and all of his angels. So the way you're saved, the way God's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant, is if you were a risk taker? I don't know any passages that teach anything even like this. And by the way, for somebody who says that their their church obsesses and focuses on Christ and his word, how is he getting any of this? Because he's not teaching from a biblical text. Weird, huh? You live the most safe and predictable life possible. No, man, why would you settle for a swing set life when God has called you to soar? I'm not talking about taking stupid risks. I'm talking about... Where, did, where does it say this in the scriptures? Prayed over... See, when God grows our faith, he gives us something bigger to do than we can accomplish on our own. You got a passage for that? It will always outpace our, our influence, our experience, our talent. It will- Where does it say that in the Bible? Come on, you say that you obsess about Christ and his word. You're not preaching from a text. You're just making all of these assertions that you've made up all by yourself, and you're blaming them on God, but you're not actually preaching these out of any particular text. It will outpace our passion. Um, it will outpace our resourcing. When the call of God is God's size and makes you feel kind of small, then you're trafficking in risk-taking faith, and life gets extraordinary. But you got to get out there. 
See, I wish, I wish I could tell you, you know, just, just trust Jesus, trust Jesus, read your Bible, read your Bible, trust Jesus, and guess what? God's going to make you safe. He's going to give you a nice house and a car and a boat, and your kids will never have pimples. Ah, yes, that's what I want. Woo-hoo, that's going to be great. I, that's, that's, that's what I want, God. I, I want to be on the honor roll. Trouble is, that's not in the Bible. Neither is any of the things you're saying currently. Nothing that you've been saying is found anywhere in the Bible. Weird that you say that because you're not preaching from a biblical text. Hey, more times the Bible, and this is not the way to grow a big church. I, 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 God will ask people to give up cars and boats and safe relationships. Oh, yeah, give up your cars and boats because, you know, you know how expensive it is to hire a trapeze act and, and 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 hire circus performers to come and perform at your church? You know how much it costs for them to put up those lights in that set? <laughs> That's right. You better be selling your boats and your houses and your cars and stuff and giving it to that church so they can afford to continue to put the show on. Be part of a movement that changes the world. I mean, risk. And how do you think the putting on a circus act is going to change the world exactly? Uh, circuses have been around for a long time. And uh, I haven't heard of the world changing as a result of circuses. I mean, do you see how God reveals and grows and defines his people? Uh, think, think of the story of 1 Samuel 16. David. How did God reveal David? Remember David, David comes. Now, now we have an allusion to a biblical story without even teaching the story. So apparently, we're, you know, the whole point of, uh, you know, this story found in 1 Samuel about David and Goliath is about being a risk taker. He's on the national stage one day. He comes on the national stage. How did that happen? He's in a battle. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17, and what is David's fighting who? Yeah, you forget in 1 Samuel 16, the, the prophet Samuel anoints David as the king. Not because of any risk-taking that he'd done, because that was who God chose. So the reason why he comes on the national stage is because God put him there. And by the way, nowhere in Scripture are we told, Now look at David's example of risk-taking. Go therefore and do likewise. There's no passages that say that. Now, David, by the way, he's like 15. He barely has his restricted driver's license. So David's like 15. He's a punk kid. He's armed with a slingshot. But to reveal him, what did God do? He had him fight another teenager. Another teenager with a sling and rock. Right? Right? No. He fought a seasoned soldier. He fought this, this Philistine giant named Goliath that was so big. When Goliath saw David, literally he LOL'd. He laughed out loud. It was such a mismatch. How can this... Now notice he's not actually preaching from this text. He's just summarize it so he's in control of the narrative here so that he can make the point that he wants about it, but he's not actually teaching this text. Weird coming from a guy who says that he obsesses about Christ and his word. Punk kid, fight me. And God took him down. Uh, Gideon, remember the story of Gideon, Judges? Uh, the, the people of God are outnumbered by the enemies of Israel 10 to 1. 10 to 1 is, is great. 10 to 1. And, and God says, Gideon, you have too many soldiers. Gideon's thinking, God, you're not very good with math. We're outnumbered 10 to 1. Again, just a reminder, at the end of the story of Gideon um, and the 300 soldiers, nowhere in Scripture does it say, therefore, go and do what Gideon did. Go thou and do likewise. 
these are unique circumstances in the salvation history of Israel. God protecting the royal bloodline of the Messiah. The Old Testament's all about Christ and following this particular family and these people through history to bring us to Christ. The miracles that God performed are not normative. Are not normative. To one. Remember that story? God widows down the forces of Israel till he has a ridiculous 300, and then, and then he takes away their weapons. He says, by the way, no swords, no spears. For battle, I'm going to give you a horn to toot and a clay jar to crash. And when the victory happens, you won't even be tempted to, to take credit for it. It's Noah. Ever heard the story of Noah? Ever heard the story of Noah? If not, go to Sunday school sometime. Noah, right? right? Big boat guy? Yeah, yeah, you won't tell the story, but you'll just summarize it so you can be in control of the narrative to create the illusion that you're doing biblical teaching, but you're not. God came to Noah and said, um, I want you to build this giant massive boat because I'm going to destroy the whole world with a flood. I'm going to send all this rain on the world. And so spend the next decade. Why, why would God do that? Don't you think that that's going to just, why would God want to destroy the whole world by a flood? That's a pretty big detail. You care to explain a little bit more about that? ...of your life, building this massive boat, build this massive boat as your, your neighbors mock you and ridic- think you're certifiable. By the way, Noah had never seen a boat nor rain. Faith. I think safe is dull. Crucify uh, safe in your heart. Safe is dull. Say to your neighbor, safe is dull. Come on. So safe is dull, but there's no Bible passage that says that. Now we've got the first allusion to something that has to do with Christ, crucifixion. So you want to crucify the idea that safe is a good thing. You're going to crucify it by saying safe is dull. Mm-hmm. Okay. Safe is dull. Safe is dull. I know you want this safe, little predictable life. Do you think Jesus Christ went to the cross and suffered to make your life safe and predictable. <laughs> this is blasphemy. How dare you, David, twist what Jesus was doing on the cross into this. Scripture is clear why Jesus was crucified on the cross. He was crucified because of your sinful rebellion against God and mine. We're all sinners. We've rebelled against God. Jesus suffered the wrath of God for us. I mean, seriously. It's about Jesus taking on the punishment that we earned as a result of our sinful rebellion against God. And here you have the audacity. The audacity to twist Jesus' crucifixion into something something as ridiculous as this. Daring to say that, oh, do you think that Jesus died on the cross so that you can live a safe life? Scripture doesn't teach what you're teaching, David. And now you're bringing in Christ's cross to somehow back up your twisted theology? Do you not think that Jesus is seeing what you're doing and hearing what you've preached? And that he's not going to hold you accountable for this blasphemy? Repent of this. And be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ on the cross. I fear for you, David. This is false doctrine, and this is not something that you mess with. This is a false teaching about Christ's cross. You don't mess with this. I fear that if you continue doing what you're doing, you're going to find yourself in hell. 
repent and be forgiven. This is blasphemy. Risk. Righteous risk. By the way, just quickly, the way this unpacks for a church is this. Church by the Glades will always take a righteous risk. We'll always risk being misunderstood. <laughs> we'll always risk financial bankruptcy. We'll risk whatever it takes. And that's because they're so godly, because they're godly risk takers. To make this thing happen. All right? That would be their show. Not that you asked. The reason I feel that way is once upon a time when I first came out of grad school, I was something called a church planter. That's a crazy person that starts a church from nothing. And if like God wanted me to plant a church. Notice again, now he's preaching from his own life. The whole risk-taking portion of the sermon wasn't backed up with a single passage of Scripture, even though he made allusions to the story of David and Goliath and Gideon. He was not teaching this from the Scriptures because the Scriptures don't teach this doctrine. Church, I got some friends of mine to volunteer with me. I got a little tiny bit of funding. It wasn't a whole lot. And we planted a church that became First Baptist Church of Weston, down south of us. And the thing I love about church planters, they are nuts. They are so risky. They just trust God. So God laid on our heart like an idea for a promotion. We would clean out all the money we had in the bank account, like $39. We'd spend all of it. But if everything fell apart, we're like, no problem. We all go to McDonald's and get part-time jobs and keep... Yeah! Because church planners are like that. They take risks. But here's the way it works in church world. When the church becomes big and established and has facilities and ministries and people, you know what happens when God speaks to the leader about taking a risk? The leader When God speaks to the leader about taking a risk, a.k.a. vision casting, he receives a vision, then his job is to cast the vision, by the way, this is just another word for prophetically hearing from God. I don't see any evidence that David Hughes is prophetically heard from God. He twists God's word. Why would God speak to him? He wants to go, whoa, God, uh, we got a lot to lose now. You know, back in the day, we didn't have a lot to get, but now we got so much to lose, God. I'm not sure we can take that risk, God. That's, that's way too iffy for me. I promise you as your pastor, if God calls us to take a risk, we will roll the dice in Jesus' name. I think when heaven and hell are at stake, the church in Jesus Christ cannot afford to... Now, he's lost the right to say that heaven and hell are at stake because he's just used Jesus' cross wrongly. And not in just a small oopsie. I mean, in a big, bad, wrong preaching kind of way. And yet, at the beginning of the sermon, he has told us, Church by the Glades is all about obsessing about Jesus and his word. But he's not doing that. And he's not preaching Christ and him crucified for our sins at all. We got a big problem here. Play it safe. So say the word risk loudly. One, two, three. Risk. Man, that guy in the trapeze, he's risking. Wow, is this? In fact, in fact, we're looking for Acts, the book for the series. And someone told us about this incredible. I learned a difference. This incredible. So we were looking for Acts to book for the series. What a weird sentence, don't you think? Tightrope rope act, tightrope, say the word tightrope, tightrope, and, and, uh, and I, I thought a tightrope and a high wire were the same thing. And I heard about this act, this act was so incredible. These people on the tightrope, they could juggle, they could jump rope. I mean, I thought, oh, we got to book them for Church by the Glades. How fun would that be to talk about balance or, you know, or multitasking or something? And then we found out that a tightrope, their tightrope, was two feet off the ground where they do this. That's pretty cool, right? So, I mean, that's skill. That's skill. But a high wire is a thing that's 30 feet off the ground. 
I'm more impressed with that, just saying. <laughs> Risk. Have a faith that takes a chance in Jesus' name. Two more ideas really quickly, and we'll shut this thing down. Here's the second thing I, I thought about as I watched that amazing guy on the trapeze. I thought about timing. Timing. Write down the word timing. It's critical. Yeah, the guy on the trapeze. You're, I, you're exegeting the trapeze act rather than God's word. Unbelievable. We understand God's timing in our lives to be spiritually successful. Uh, timing in life is such a big deal. In the circus, whether it's an aerialist or an acrobat, or oh, there are windows, there's no margin. If they hesitate or miscalculate, there's disaster. On the other hand, if the timing is spot on, it's spectacular. God's timing is a funny thing. It always seems like to me as I try to gauge and calculate God's timing, align my timing with God's timing, it always seems like God's watch is kind of screwed up to me. Anybody else? I mean, it seems like sometimes God's running too fast. Many times he's running way too slow. I was reading this week. That famous account of Moses' big moment when God called him to do something risky and great. It shows up in Exodus chapters 3 and 4. It's the whole, you know, Moses burning bush. You know, Moses, take off your Nikes. It's so the story of Moses is all about God telling Moses to do something risky. Unbelievable. This is holy ground, right? So, so God calls Moses, and you recall if you read the story, Moses becomes a world-class excuse maker. God, I'm not good with speech. I'm not good with my words. God, what if they ask your name? God, what if they don't believe? By the way, all legitimate things. In fact, I've noticed anytime God calls someone, typically the call of God is so big, it's so risky, so overwhelming. People list a long list of reasons why it cannot be done. God is never surprised. And by the way, God never changes his mind. You might reject God. You might miss your moment. But I've learned you never win an argument with God. And so finally, Moses, you know, I think... So apparently, David Hughes has had a Moses-like moment. Apparently, uh, God was uh, out there in uh, Coral Springs, Florida, and uh, he was out near an alligator pit and, and, and saw uh, an alligator pond on fire, and God told him to take his sandals off because he was on holy ground and, and, uh, and called him to do something really risky. I am the God of, of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm calling you, David Hughes, to do something risky. He's literally comparing himself to Moses. Unbelievable. I mean, if this isn't just preposterous arrogance, I don't know what is. Moses' big issue is this. God, you're too slow. God, you're... 40 years too late. 40 years ago as a young man, I wanted to do this thing. You remember the Bible story? He wanted to bring about an Israeli rebellion in Egypt. Let's kill off some Egyptians and find our, our freedom. But now he was 80. And God says, now is my time. You're ready. Isn't that funny who God chooses and uses to do risky things? He chooses and uses three kinds of people. Listen, he chooses people who are too young, too old, or too messed up. My guess is you're one or two of those right now. You're too young, you're too old, too messed up, and he'll do risky things, risky things. So our church, our church, I want to see us open more campuses. And this building, this new building, man, we're building a giant multi-million dollar. So now they're preaching clearly about themselves. Um, notice he's not really preaching from any biblical text at all. And simply making reference to a biblical story is not the same as preaching from God's word. Yet this from a man who says that church, or I'm sorry, Circus by the Glades, 
obsesses about Christ and his word. I don't see any evidence whatsoever that church, or, sorry, Circus by the Glades obsesses about Christ and his word. I mean, have you really even heard anything about Christ in the sermon at all? Have you really heard his word at all? I mean, what are we up to? Three out-of-context verses and basically allusions to other biblical stories without actually teaching them. Weird, huh? Dollar building in the midst of the worst economic meltdown of my lifetime. That seems like terrible timing, doesn't it? But here's the good news. We now have the money needed to pay off this building. This is not true. This is a rhetorical trick he's performing here. That's the good news. The bad news is it's still in your bank accounts right now, but we have it. We have it. We have it. It's just that. So this entire risk-taking sermon really is all about motivating people to write a check to pay for a bigger building so they can have bigger acts and a bigger show. The tendency to play it safe and the timing to be generous in this economy, to be unselfish. Oh, the timing, God, whoa, the timing's all, all wrong. The God's timing's always spot on. <laughs> Sorry, dirty trick. <laughs> Your face is the first like, yeah! Someone else paid for this thing, yeah! <laughs> and sometimes when God calls you to make a dramatic God decision, it seems like God's clock is moving way too fast for you. Maybe it's, maybe it's to be more generous. Maybe it's to be unselfish and volunteer and serve. Maybe, it's, maybe this is habit in your life that's messing you up and it's affecting your success and you need to get some help. And we have these great programs here like Celebrate Recovery and you need to have the courage to jump into that. A life group, they start next week. Uh, come to the new, newcomers class. Let me join this thing. Be part of what God is doing here. And you think, oh, it's not a good time. You know, even the big things, baptism, salvation. You know the Bible says the best time for that? Now, right now. I mean, today is the best time for that. How do I know? Salvation from what? What do I need to be saved from? Hmm? The scripture says, Bible's always right. It's God's word. It says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, it's on the screen. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. What? Why do I, what do I need God's favor from? What do I need salvation from? I mean, it's great that you're quoting a verse that talks about salvation care to give me any details salvation salvation from what never delay the obey but i don't feel like it's time your emotions don't matter the word of god is always accurate and don't delay but obey uh, the gospel call is not obey it's repent and believe weird true and god is so amazing he inspired the apostle paul to write this statement two thousand years ago to intersect your life today 9-11-2011. So the Apostle Paul was inspired just to write uh, one sentence to intersect with their life that day. One whole sentence to intersect with their life that day. Last time I checked, 1 Corinthians was part of a whole letter. And in the opening part of that letter, Paul talks about how the fact that he preaches nothing except for Christ and him crucified for our sins you do better to intersect their lives 
with that. Coral Springs, Florida. So make that move. Don't miss the window in the circus. If they hesitate, all is lost. And then final thought is I watched that, that guy in the trapeze, or if you ever watch the flying trapeze, it's a tandem. It's more than one person. You know, it's uh, letting go. Letting go is a key component of that artist's success. At some point, that flyer must let go. I think it's a vivid portrayal of what authentic biblical faith looks like. At some point, mm, yeah, and I think yeah, I think it represents authentic biblical faith. Right? Yeah. Um, again, uh, he's exegeting a trapeze act. He's not exegeting a passage of scripture. Point. You you trust God. You take a breath. You say a prayer. You let go and you make that move. See, as I studied and did research. I found this record written by a famous uh, family of flyers, trapeze artists called the Flying Rudellas. And they described, you know, the two people in that, you know, that tandem trapeze scenario, the flying trapeze. And, and the one person that hangs by their knees and catches the other person, ready for this? They're called the catcher. <laughs> now, why are they called the catcher? Because they're supposed to catch the other person. Are right, you with me so far? Then the other person, the other person is called the flyer. The flyer, no big surprise, that's the person that, you know, let's go, and they, the catcher catches the flyer. Hopefully. That's, that's what they're called. Catcher, flyer, no big surprise. This did surprise me. In my research, the Rodella said, the flyer has no responsibility to catch the catcher. Sole responsibility to catch is in the hands of the catcher. In fact, physically speaking, there's something about the physicality. If they both try to grab each other, it doesn't work very well. But if the flyer will completely trust the catcher to catch him or her, it is their responsibility. So all the flyer does, recognize the timing, and they let go, and they fly. Trusting the catcher will be there to catch them. In the circus, it works almost every time. But this is not about the circus. It's about God and faith. And uh, if there's some big God decision the Holy Spirit of God's calling you to make, guess what? God. So if there's some big God decision that the Holy Spirit's calling you to make, um, y again, you got any passages that talk about any of this? Because you're exegeting a trapeze act rather than any biblical passages. I mean, you've actually told us more about you know the the craft of trapezing than you have about you know what the Bible really says. Strange coming from a man who says he obsesses about Christ and his word. I don't see any evidence that that's true. God never drops. God never fumbles. God never slips. You can trust God to catch you every single time. Why would you live a life that's mundane, unspecial, dull? Take a risk. Whatever that decision is, you can... Yeah, why would you live a mundane life? God's going to... Just jump. God will catch you. The Bible doesn't say this. You can trust God. Why? He loves you. Final thought, and we're kind of done. Uh, uh, I'm a parent. Uh, parents, man, I learned so much about Scripture and God through my kids. Amen? Don't you? Your parent grant me. I, I just learned uh, John 3 16, first Bible verse I ever learned as a kid. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I could quote that. I knew that verse. Uh, the rest of it is that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Um, yeah, uh, so here we, we're getting dangerously close to the biblical gospel, but he didn't quote the whole verse. But when I had a son, I thought, oh my gosh, God loved me so much he gave his boy for me? What does that mean? God loved you so much that he gave his boy for you. Why did God have to give his son for you?
you know, normally when we get, hear a gospel nugget, I play this sound. But I, I don't want you to think that I'm playing this for this. I'm just making a point. Okay. When somebody gives us a gospel nugget, we play that sound to identify the fact that you just heard the gospel fly in and fly out so fast that you would have missed it if you'd blinked. This doesn't qualify as a gospel nugget. You haven't heard it. And even what he's saying that sounds gospely doesn't make any sense. What am I saved from? Why does God the Son have to die for me? How come he didn't talk about believing? There's so many questions that are brought up by the way he's handling this. Again, weird, coming from a guy who claims in public during a circus act at his church that he paid a lot of money for the acts to come and do their circus thing, that the church or circus by the glades obsesses about Christ and his word. I see no evidence of this obsession. Nor have I heard the gospel. And it's all about heaven and hell being on the line. Well, if heaven and hell are really truly on the line, and this is what is motivating David Hughes, why are we not hearing the gospel? Why are we not hearing God's law to convict people of their sins and show them their need of a Savior? Why are we not being told about the wrath of God against sinners? Why are we not being told about eternal damnation in hell? being what we've earned as a result of our sinful rebellion against God. And how come we're not hearing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who suffered in our place, was pierced for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and that the punishment that brought us peace was upon him? How come we're not hearing about his shed blood on the cross for our sinful rebellion? Him taking upon himself the punishment that we earned. How come none of those details are there when heaven and hell are supposedly on the line and this entire circus performance is all about bringing so-called spiritual seekers into their house so that they can hear the gospel? But they're not hearing it at all. They're just being scolded for not being risky trapeze-like people. I mean, I love you, but if there's a life or death choice between you and my son, it ain't even close, right? I don't love you that much, but he loved me that much. So, so wow. So I learned about God and faith and scripture from my kids. So I have a beautiful daughter. I have two sons. Now, the bolder, the naturally more intrepid of my two sons, easy. Lisa, who's the bolder of my two sons? Is Zane. My two-year-old is crazy. He climbs on everything, has no fear of gravity. Yeah, I know he looks all cute there, but he's a rascal. He is, he's a fearless little kid. He's loud, he's bold, he's reckless. One exception, the pool. In the pool, he's giving you some like swimming lessons for babies. He's very cautious about the pool. has a healthy fear of water. And so, so we're hearing more about uh, David Hughes' son than we are about Jesus, the son of God. That is an objective fact of this sermon. If I'm in the pool with him and I want him to jump to me, he will not jump until I put out both fingers and then he will grab both fingers with a death grip. And then and then only he will trust me enough to jump in the water. Now, Charlie, my oldest, is a sweet kid, naturally more of a cautious kid. But back when he was a baby, guess what? In the pool, if I said jump, in fact, I have a picture. 
Like he would just fling his little body, man. He would just fling his little... He, would, he wouldn't even hesitate. If I said, buddy, jump, he would jump every time. Know why he did that? He trusted me so much because I am a trained circus performer. I have such skill. And no, no, he didn't trust me. Know why he trusted me? I'm his dad. I'm his dad, and though he's a little bitty guy, I think intuitively he knew I would give my life for him. I was his dad. If I said jump, he knew he could trust me. There's some spiritual decision right now. The Holy Spirit of God is saying you can trust your heavenly father. So the big takeaway here is God apparently is speaking to you about some big spiritual decision. He just wants you to jump. Don't worry. He'll catch you. And none of this was taught from a biblical text. Not even one. Stop playing it safe. Is it your finances? Is it a relationship? Is it a habit? Is it you're serving others? I mean, you settled for that swing. God wants you to soar. God wants your life in Jesus' name to be extraordinary. Will you leverage yourself, leverage your influence, leverage your relationships, your talent, your passion, your resources to change this generation? Don't live a mundane, dull life. Don't play it safe in Jesus' name. Uh, just tacking Jesus' name on the end of this will not make it a Christian sermon. There's nothing Christian about this sermon. And what you're saying is not sound biblical doctrine. What you're saying is not taught in the scriptures. It's weird that you scolded people and say, well, that particular thing is not taught in the Bible. What you're teaching isn't taught in the Bible. Nowhere is it taught. Excel! Give me that trapeze back! Now he's going to demonstrate his risky boldness by doing some trapezing himself. I take a chance in the library once in a while. Get that for me, Charlie. There you go. He's so risk-taking. Oh, what a Christian this man is. He is so much like Jesus. Woo! Don't play it safe. Don't applaud that. It was terrible. If God's calling you, make him. You sappy music. Move, bust that mood in Jesus' name. If you're looking to fuel your faith through the spiritual life with people with passion, we have a newcomer's class. I invite you to join this movement called Circus by the Glades and help change the world with us. Amen. How are you changing the world again? What are you changing the world from into? How is it a circus act? And uh, three verses out of context and telling people to take risks is going to change the world. I mean, you haven't even taught them what biblical Christianity is. You didn't tell them the gospel. You didn't tell them about their sins and their real need for a Savior. You made some kind of an allusion to Jesus being Savior but never explained any of it. How is this supposed to change the world again? Don't you think it's a little overstating of the facts that your church is somehow a movement? I mean, 
Maybe it's a movement uh, that's slouching towards Gomorrah, but it's not a movement that uh, brings men to repentance and faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Not even close. Father, we love you. Okay, we're done. Yeah, when he starts to pray, he doesn't get to pray for us. That was, I'm not sure what Jesus he prays to. Jesus the risk taker? Um, yeah, I didn't learn anything about Jesus. Did you hear anything about Jesus? I mean, weird. I mean, something about him dying, you know, that, you know, for us, something about that. Uh, kind of fuzzy on all of the details. In fact, there were like no details given. Weird coming from a man who claims that they obsess about Christ and his word. They they sure did. I think they obsessed more about the details and the choreography of their circus act than they did about rightly handling God's word. So there you go. That's what the secret driven movement's all about. Spectacle. They claim that they're not sacrificing the message. I claim I never hear it. Sacrificing it? They flat out threw it out the window. Maybe it fell off the trapeze. I, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was one of those things that they were juggling, and the guy dropped it, and it, it fell under a seat, and they lost it somewhere. I can tell you this, though. This wasn't Jesus preached or proclaimed or his word obsessed on. Nothing even close. Sad. Pray for the folks there at Circus by the Glades. They're being preached straight into hell. Need to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio, and we do depend upon your generous gifts and financial contributions to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, visit our website and click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. You can get there at fightingforthefaith.com. That's fightingforthefaith.com. Of course, if you'd like to make a contribution the traditional way, you can do so by clicking on the donate, I'm sorry, by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box 508 Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. You can email me, my email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. That's what we need to be hearing about every Sunday. Amen. Amen.